0: Chapter sixty seven of I Say No This recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter sixty seven The True Consolation. Emily closed the pages which told her that her father had died by his own hand. Cecilia still held her tenderly embraced. By slow degrees her head dropped until it rested on her friend's bosom. Silently she suffered. Silently Cecilia bent forward and kissed her forehead. The sounds that penetrated to the room were not out of harmony with the time. From a distant house the voices of children were just audible, singing the plaintive melody of a hymn. And now and then the breeze blew the first faded leaves of autumn against the window. Neither of the girls knew how long the minutes followed each other uneventfully before there was a change. Emily raised her head and looked at Cecilia. "'I have one friend left,' she said. "'Not only me, love. Oh, I hope not only me. Yes, only you. I want to say something, Emily, but I am afraid of hurting you. My dear, do you remember what we once read in a book of history at school?' it told of the death of a tortured man in the old time who was broken on the wheel he lived through it long enough to say that the agony after the first stroke of the club dulled his capacity for feeling pain when the next blows fell i fancy pain of the mind must follow the same rule nothing you can say will hurt me now i only wanted to ask emily If you were engaged at one time to marry Mr. Mirabel, is it true?" "'False! He pressed me to consent to an engagement, and I said he must not hurry me. What made you say that?' "'I thought of Alban Morris.' Vainly, Cecilia tried to restrain herself. A cry of joy escaped her. "'Are you glad?' Emily asked. Why? Cecilia made no direct reply. May I tell you what you wanted to know a little while since? She said. You asked why Mr. Morris left it all to me, instead of speaking to you himself. When I put the same question to him, he told me to read what he had written. Not a shadow of suspicion rests on Mr. Mirabel, he said. Emily is free to marry him, and free through me. Can I tell her that? For her sake, and for mine, it must not be. All that I can do is to leave old remembrances to plead for me. If they fail, I shall know that she will be happier with Mr. Mirabel than with me." "'And you will submit?' I asked. "'Because I love her,' he answered. "'I must submit.' Oh, how pale you are! Have I distressed you! You have done me good. Will you see him? Emily pointed to the manuscript. At such a time as this, she said. Cecilia still held to her resolution. Such a time is the right time, she answered. It is now, when you most want to be comforted, that you ought to see him. Who can quiet your poor aching heart as he can quiet it? She impetuously snatched at the manuscript and threw it out of sight. I can't bear to look at it, she said. Emily, if I have done wrong, will you forgive me? I saw him this morning before I came here. I was afraid of what might happen. I refused to break the dreadful news to you unless he was somewhere near us. Your good old servant knows where to go. Let me send her. Mrs. Ellmother herself opened the door and stood doubtful on the threshold, hysterically sobbing and laughing at the same time. <laughs> I'm everything that's bad. The good old creature burst out. I've been listening. I've been lying. I said you wanted him. Turn me out of my situation, if you like. I've got him. Here he is!" In another moment, Emily was in his arms, and they were alone. On his faithful breast, the blessed relief of tears came to her at last. She burst out, crying. Oh, can you forgive me? He gently raised her head so that he could see her face. My love, let me look at you, he said. I want to think again of the day when we parted in the garden at school. Do you remember the one conviction that sustained me? I told you, Emily, there was a time of fulfillment to come in our two lives. And I have never wholly lost the dear belief. My own darling, the time has come. Postscript Gossip in the Studio the winter time had arrived. Alban was clearing his palate after a hard day's work at the cottage. The servant announced that tea was ready, and that Miss Ladd was waiting to see him in the next room. Alban ran in, and received the visitor cordially with both hands. "'Welcome back to England! I needn't ask if the sea voyage has done you any good. You are looking ten years younger than when you went away. Miss Ladd smiled. "'I shall soon become ten years older again, if I go back to Netherwoods,' she replied. "'I didn't believe it at the time. But I know better now. Our friend Dr. Alday was right when he said that my working days were over. I must give up the school, to a younger and stronger successor, and make the best I can in retirement for what is left of my life.' You and Emily may expect to have me as a near neighbor. Where is Emily? Far away in the north. In the north? You don't mean that she has gone back to Mrs. Delvin? She has gone back, with Mrs. Elmother to take care of her, at my express request. You know what Emily is when there is an act of mercy to be done. The unhappy man has been sinking, with intervals of partial recovery, for months past. Mrs. Delvin sent word to us that the end was near, and that the one last wish her brother was able to express was the wish to see Emily. He had been for some hours unable to speak when my wife arrived, but he knew her and smiled faintly. He was just able to lift his hand She took it, and waited by him, and spoke words of consolation and kindness from time to time. As the night advanced, he sank into sleep, still holding her hand. They only knew that he had passed from sleep to death, passed without a movement or a sigh, when his hand turned cold. Emily remained for a day at the tower, to comfort poor Mrs. Delvin and she comes home, thank God, this evening. "'I needn't ask if you are happy,' Miss Ladd said. "'Happy! I sing when I have my bath in the morning. If that isn't happiness in a man of my age, I don't know what is. And how are you getting on?' "'Famously. I have turned portrait-painter since you were sent away for your health.' The portrait of Mr. Wyville is to decorate the town hall in the place that he represents, and our dear, kind-hearted Cecilia has induced a fascinated mayor and corporation to confide the work to my hands." "'Is there no hope of that sweet girl being married?' Miss Ladd asked. "'We old maids all believe in marriage, Mr. Morris, though some of us don't own it.' "'There seems to be a chance. Alban answered. A young lord has turned up at Monksmoor, a handsome, pleasant fellow, and a rising man in politics. He happened to be in the house a few days before Cecilia's birthday, and he asked my advice about the right present to give her. I said, try something new in tarts. When he found I was in earnest, what do you think he did? sent his steam yacht to rouen for some of the famous pastry you should have seen cecilia when the young lord offered his delicious gift if i could paint that smile and those eyes i should be the greatest artist living i believe she will marry him need i say how rich they will be we shall not envy them we are rich too everything is comparative The portrait of Mr. Wyvil will put three hundred pounds in my pocket. I have earned a hundred and twenty more by illustrations since we have been married. And my wife's income, I like to be particular, is only five shillings and tenpence short of two hundred a year. Moral, we are rich as well as happy. Without a thought of the future? Miss Ladd asked slyly. Oh, Dr. Alday has taken the future in hand. He revels in the old-fashioned jokes which used to be addressed to married people in his time. "'My dear fellow,' he said the other day, "'you may possibly be under the joyful necessity of sending for the doctor before we are all a year older. In that case, let it be understood that I am honorary physician to the family. The warm-hearted old man talks of getting me another portrait to do. "'The greatest ass!' in the medical profession he informed me has just been made a baronet and his admiring friends have decided that he is to be painted at full length with his bandy legs hidden under a gown and his great globular eyes staring at the spectator i'll get you the job shall i tell you what he says of mrs rook's recovery miss Ladd held up her hands in amazement recovery she exclaimed and a most remarkable recovery too alban informed her it is the first case on record of any person getting over such an injury as she has received dr allday looked grim when he heard of it i begin to believe in the devil he said nobody else could have saved mrs rook other people don't take that view she has been celebrated in all the medical newspapers and she has been admitted to an excellent almshouse to live in comfortable idleness to a green old age the best of it is that she shakes her head when her wonderful recovery is mentioned it seems such a pity she says i was so fit for heaven mr rook having got rid of his wife is in excellent spirits he is occupied in looking after an imbecile old gentleman And when he is asked if he likes the employment, he winks mysteriously and slaps his pocket. Now, Miss Ladd, I think it's my turn to hear some news. What have you got to tell me? I believe I can match your account of Mrs. Rook, Miss Ladd said. Do you care to hear what has become of Francine? Alban, rattling on hitherto in boyish high spirits, suddenly became serious. "'I have no doubt Mr. Soar is doing well,' he said sternly. "'She is too heartless and wicked not to prosper.' "'You are getting like your old cynical self again, Mr. Morris. "'And you are wrong. "'I called this morning on the agent, who had the care of Francine, when I left England. "'When I mentioned her name, he showed me a telegram sent to him by her father. "'There's my authority.' he said, for letting her leave my house. The message was short enough to be easily remembered. Anything my daughter likes, as long as she doesn't come back to us. In those cruel terms, Mr. de wrote of his own child. The agent was just as unfeeling in his way. He called her the victim of slighted love, and clever proselytizing. In plain words, he said— The priest of the Catholic chapel close by has converted her, and she is now a novice in a convent of Carmelite nuns in the west of England. Who could have expected it? Who knows how it may end? As Miss Ladd spoke, the bell rang at the cottage gate. Here she is! Alban cried, leading the way into the hall. Emily has come home! End of I Say No by Wilkie Collins RECORDING BY SANDRA